I'm doing great, LC. How have you been? Been pretty good. Just, uh, you know, trying to lose some weight from the holidays before we get sandwiched in between the biggest holiday of them all, Christmas. So it's almost like, why even bother? But, uh, but other than that, I've been great. Yourself? Doing good. Doing good. A little bit under the weather the last couple of days, but uh, excited about tonight's show. Excited about a, a great weekend of fights coming up. So that always seems to make me feel better. <laughs> Absolutely, and of course, we're talking about UFC 206 coming up this weekend. Should be, it's not quite the scrap that we thought it was originally going to be with Rumble and Cormier having to have their bout canceled because of injuries, but we get the next best thing in an interim title fight at featherweight between Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis. We're going to preview all those fights on that card. We're also going to recap because we've been gone for two weeks, some of the huge uh, fights that have happened in boxing, especially Ward and Kovalov, and we're going to get into all that. But first, let's hit you with the particulars. You're listening to the Ultimate Fight Show. If you want to call in, the number is one six five seven three eight three one four one two. We actually will have a uh, friend of the show, uh, Johnny Chan, coming calling in around 8 o'clock to talk MMA and break down this UFC 206. So this is one of the rare times, Greg, where we will have someone calling. <laughs> it's not just a clever <laughs> saying. But uh, also uh, you can find us on all your social media outlets, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter. We'll be back up on the Instagram. I got a new phone, so it kind of, if you've been following us on the Instagram, it's been kind of down for like two weeks, but we're going to get that back up and going this week. And, Brad, you want to tell them where they can find us? Of course, it's easy to find us. Uh, the Ultimate Fight Show, that's where you find us on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, it's a little different. It's the Alt Fight Show. They limit us to 15 characters, and we're too big for that. But we'll settle for the <laughs> Alt Fight Show on Twitter. Absolutely. All right. And, and, and again, it's a new month. So, of course, as always, we're going to have the Ultimate Fight Show rankings and get all that going. So, let, why don't we just start right off the bat, Greg? Let's get into the rankings. Let's talk about the news and notes and some of the stuff that's been happening. And, of course, send, we, the, last, the last show we had was November 17th. We previewed a lot of big fights. We recapped the huge Madison Square Garden 205 card. Let's see if the new rankings had got shook up from uh, that big card. So at heavyweight, we have Stipe Miocic 
Cleveland born. We're, we're hoping to have him on the show in January in the new year. He's the champion of the world. Uh, Fabricio Verdum remains at two. Him and Kane Velasquez will have a uh, rematch to determine who will fight Stipe later next year. Junior Dos Santos at four. Ben Rothwell at five. The man that Stipe defended against, Overeem at six. Josh Barnett at seven. Vitaly Minikoff, 18-0. and 0. That's a name to keep an eye on. He's at number eight. Andre Arlowski at nine. And Travis Brown, not sure how much, how much longer you'll be around at number 10. Bragg, take us through the light heavyweights. With pleasure. Of course, the number one light heavyweight in the world is Daniel Cormier. Got injured, was pulled off the card. Warning, because I was looking forward to seeing him fight the number two man, Anthony Johnson, uh, this weekend. They'll get it on, hopefully, in the early spring of next year. Number three is Alexander Gustafson. Number four is Ryan Bader. Uh, number five, Mr. Wonderful, Phil Davis. Number six, Glover Teixeira. Number seven, Liam McGeary. Number eight, Rampage Jackson. Number nine, Jimmy Manuwa. And number 10, King Mo Lawal. At middleweight, we have the champion, Michael Bisping. Number two, Luke Rockhold, the man that he took the belt from. But lurking in the shadows is Yoel Romero at number three. Number four is Jacare Sosa. Number five, Gegard Mousasi, who's had a resurgence as of late, winning four UFC fights in a row. Uh, Chris Weidman at six. Robert Whitaker at seven. The Spider, Anderson Silva at eight. Vitor Belfort at nine. And debuting at number 10, David Branch, 19-3. and Bragg, you want to take us through the welterweights? I sure will. The number one welterweight in the world is Mr. Tyron Woodley. Uh, number two is the man he had a war with last month, Stephen Thompson, the Wonder Boy. Number three is the former champ, Robbie Lawler. Number, I'm sorry, number three is Robbie Lawler. Number four is Damian Maya. Number five, Ben Askren. Number six, uh, New Bellator welterweight, Roy McDonald. Number seven is the natural-born killer, Carlos Condit. Number eight is Andre Koreshkov. Number nine is the cowboy, Donald Cerrone, jumping into the welterweight <clears throat> top ten. And number ten is the man he was scheduled to fight, uh, Kelvin Gesslum. Not sure if he'll be a welterweight for much longer. Yeah, that's true. That guy's eating his way out of the division. Um so the lightweights now, we have a new and new champ, the double champ, Conor McGregor at number one. Number two, the man that everyone wants to see him fight, Kabob Nurmagomedov at number two. Tony Ferguson, though, at number three. And this is a guy that a lot of people don't sleep on Ferguson. Number four, Nate Diaz. Number five, the former champion, Eddie Alvarez. Number six, the former, former champion, RDJ. Number seven, Edison Barbosa. Eight, Will Brooks. Nine, the former, former, former Benson Henderson. <laughs> and then Michael Chandler at number 10. Bragg, there might be a repeat at the top of the featherweights. You want to take us through that? Well, we've got still got Conor McGregor listed as number one featherweight in the world. Now, of course, we'll talk about this in the more discussion a little later, but he is no longer the featherweight champion. That title has been... Uh, vacated, and Jose Aldo has been um, upgraded to the UFC featherweight champion of the world. Um, he currently sits at number two in our ranking. Uh, below him is number three, Mr. Frankie Edgar. Number four, uh, a couple of guys, number four and five, actually, are a couple of guys we'll be talking about 
in-depth a little later on. It'll be Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis. Number six, Chad Mendez. Number seven, Daniel Strauss. Number eight, Cub Swanson. Number nine, Pat- Patricio Pitbull Ferrer. And number 10 is Mr. Ricardo Lamas. <clears throat> on to the bantamweights. Uh, Brad, before we get to the bantamweights, let, let, let's stick with this because this is a unique situation. You know, the first time ever we got a current double champion. And what does the UFC do? They They go and strip him of his featherweight title because he – has not defended that belt in a year. And I understand that. What are your thoughts on it, Greg? And is it official that Jose is now the champion? Because I heard that Max Holloway and Pettis, that the winner of that fight was going to be interim champion and have to fight Jose Aldo then. So a little, let, let's get a little clarification for the listeners. Yeah. I'm not sure why they were so quick to strip Conor McGregor of the featherweight title unless he made it clear to them that he had no intentions of defending it anytime soon. Not to say he would never defend it, but he's got his plans and he's been talking a big game and wanting to do this and wanting to do that. And uh, The UFC may have honestly called his bluff there, but as it stands now today, Conor McGregor is no longer the featherweight champion. The official featherweight champion is Jose Aldo, who was the interim champion after beating Eddie. Al- uh, I'm, I'm sorry, after beating Frankie Edgar in July. So as of today, Jose Aldo is the UFC featherweight champion of the world. Now, I and this is that was an instance we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The opportunity that. If Conor McGregor did not want to defend a title or was not going to defend a featherweight title, what would happen there? And that was one of the things we speculated on, that Jose would be promoted to the full-time. Now, of course, the last couple of months, the, the, the talk has been Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis being the next two contenders. We both said and agreed that that was a fight we wanted to see to see who would face uh, the champion next year. We're going to get that fight this weekend. Apparently, it is for an interim featherweight title. I don't know why they decided to give it an interim tag. Unless they're just trying to save the main event of the show, uh, making it a five-round fight. It's now an interim title fight. I hate interim titles. Under very rare mm-hmm. circumstances, should there be an interim title in mixed martial arts? But that's what the UFC is promoting this fight as come Saturday night. So as uh, come Sunday morning, we should have an interim featherweight champion in the likes of either Max Holloway or Anthony Pettis. But Jose Aldo is currently the featherweight champion of the world. Yeah, I I mean, it is a confusing situation because we, we now have breaking news that I just got off the wire that Conor McGregor has said that he will not fight again until next year in September. So 10 months, he is expecting the birth of his first son and wants to negotiate his UFC deal for a bigger piece is basically what they're saying. And I guess the move to strip him was predicated partly on the fact that they knew he was not going to fight again until the fall. So that makes it a little bit more palatable. As far as the interim, you know how I feel about that too. It's like, thanks for holding my belt. You're not the real champ. So, you know, um, it's the same way I feel with Cormier and Jones. Like, we all know John Jones is the real champion of the world. 
although DC is a great fighter and a pound-for-pound, you know, ambassador of the sport, he's definitely not the real, like, heavyweight champion of the world. Um, So it it just makes for an interesting – we'll break this – we'll get more into that when we uh, break down UFC 206. Let's get on to the bantamweights. Dominic Cruz, number one. He's got a dust-up coming in a couple months against Cody Garbrandt, who's undefeated, ranked number seven. Number two is the man he took the belt from, TJ Dillashaw. John Lineker at three. Jimmy uh, Rivera, a guy that we both like, uh, is an up-and-comer at four. Um, Ralphio Anuncio is at five. Bilibano Fernandez, six. John Dotson, eight. Caraway nine. And Marlon Morose at ten. Bragg, talk about, let's talk about the featherweights. And I guess while we're just doing this, because we're on the division, we should probably just talk about last week's card the ultimate fighter finale. So why, why don't we, uh, why don't you take us through the rankings first and then we'll break down that, that card. Of course, after that last weekend, we still, and still flyweight champion of the mm-hmm. world is Mr. Demetrius Johnson. Um, hell of a fight, a hell of a show and a really a hell of a season with the ultimate fighter this season. Uh, Joseph Benavidez sits at number two. Uh, number three is, uh, Kyoji Horiguchi, number four. Henry Cueto, number five, is the, the, the new star of the flyweight division, Mr. Tim Elliott. Um, we'll talk about him in just a second. Number six, Ian McCall. Number seven, Gutierrez De Silva. Number eight, Wilson Reyes. Number nine, Zach Makovsky. And number 10 is Mr. John Moraga. All right. So, so again, the ultimate fighter finale, for those of you, uh, you know that we're not the Bragman and myself are both really not big fans of tough because of how boring it became. But the last couple last season and now this season with the new concept and how they're revamping it, it's uh, it's, it's drawn our interest back. And I thought, again, this was one of the best seasons ever, all champions, all from all organizations all over the world showdown winner gets a shot at the pound for pound King. And it's a great segue back into the UFC. I thought it was fantastic. Let's talk about some of the other fights before we break it down. We had uh, Jorge Masvidal beat Jake Ellenberger by KO in round one. A little controversy in this fight, Bragg. Uh, how, how did you see this one? Yeah. You know, it, it was unfortunate. And I'm assuming you're talking about the uh, uh, situation where he got his foot caught into the apron. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it. It, it was unfortunate because it was a pretty good fight, and I felt like the um, I felt like he was actually winning it going in. Uh, I thought Ellenberger was doing well and winning it going into that into that first round. Uh, he he went into the cage, got his foot caught into the between the mat and the cage. Not sure exactly the technical part portion there, but Masvidal didn't realize it. He started, you know, a little bit of ground and pound. Herb Dean stepped in and stopped the fight. Now, very unfortunate. When that happens, it goes to a TKO for Jorge Masvidal. Uh, Jake Ellenberger was not unconscious. He was not. Um, he he was defending himself as best he could while trying to get his foot out of the um, cramp that it was in. It was just a really unfortunate situation. Um, what what do you do in that situation? 
Um, Herb Dean was in a very tough spot. He stopped the action when Masvidal was clearly, you know, clearly in the better position. Uh, never seen that before. Just when you think you've seen everything, uh, uh, something new goes our way. I have a feeling there will be a uh, an appeal on Ellenberger's part, on Ellenberger's part, and I feel like that it will probably end up being a no contest at the end of the day. Larry, what do you think? I agree. I think the no contest is definitely the route and that these guys should fight again. So, um, but yeah, definitely strange and a weird situation for a referee to be put into in the middle of a fight where people are throwing, you know, so uh, I, it's a tough spot to be in. Um, but the other two fights on the card, the co-main event with the coaches, Joseph Benvedias against Henry Cejudo, who are both guys where if Demetrius Johnson didn't exist, maybe these guys would be champions of the world. Unfortunately, he does for them, and so they had a, a nice little fight. I thought the split decision was right. Uh, Cejudo landed 70 punches to 69, had the takedown. But Ben Badia's had the, I thought, the, the cleaner and the harder strikes. And I thought that he pushed the pace in the third round a little bit better. And he, he made a really good point at the end when he's like, you know, what do you guys want? This is a three-round fight. I could go two more if we needed to. And it just seemed like Cejudo was starting to fade a little and that, you know, the right man won the split decision. But take nothing away from Cejudo. Again, he's ranked still number four by the Ultimate Fight Show. Great fight, though. Bragg, what, what, what's next for both of these guys? It was a really good fight. Uh, I, I agree with you. I thought Benavidez uh, pulled it out at the end. I think the stronger third round uh, did it. I'd love to have seen two more rounds between these guys. I, I thought it was a fantastic fight, uh, about as close as you can get. What's next? Demetrius Johnson has such a stronghold over that division, and I mean, the easy thing to say would be he gets a shot at the title for Benavidez, but he's already. I think Johnson's beating what twice already. I think they have one draw and two. They I, they fought three times, so Demetrius Johnson okay. is two zero oh, and one against them. It, it's one of those odd situations where Johnson has essentially cleaned out the division. Uh, there's nobody left that he hasn't beaten, um, I, I guess, except maybe for Horiguchi. Um, yeah, that's he, who I was, was going to say. There's only, there's only one more. Yeah, so I I, I feel bad for Joseph Benavidez. He's earned a shot at the title again, but I don't really think anybody's clamoring to see it. I don't think that would sell any pay-per-views. Uh, the UFC is going to be in a tough spot, and unless they put it on, you know, on a free, free show on Fox Sports One or even on Fox, um, I I just don't see that fight happening. Maybe go ahead and schedule Horiguchi to fight Johnson, and then have Benavidez as the backup in case somebody gets injured. Um, perhaps Tim Elliott against Joseph Benavidez um, might be a good fight. Um, you know, yeah. let's, let's capitalize on Elliott's startup. Um, immediate me, start of here. I'm not sure if let me ask, he's up to Benavidez's level. But... Let me ask you something here to interrupt. Um, do you think that it's now time for the UFC brass? I'm talking about Dana White, the guy that makes the fights here. Do you think it's time now 
let's say Dominic Cruz gets past Garbrandt like we think he will. Dominic Cruz is the only man to beat Demetrius Johnson, and that was at 135 pounds. Is it time for the UFC to make Demetrius Johnson move up and try to fight Cruz again? It's been five years. It could be a completely different fight this time because of the injuries to Cruz and the inactivity. And I think it's a super fight where you could legitimately sell it as a super fight. Neither one of those guys has lost. What do you think about that? Oh, I'd definitely love to see it. That really just would depend on Demetrius Johnson and if he felt felt like he could go up to 135. I, I think he probably could. But, yeah, that, that would be a very interesting fight. I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. Uh, I think it'd be a, it would be a super fight. Hardcore MMA fans would salivate at that fight. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, if they could make it happen, I, I'd, I'd be all for it. And, and I mean, indirectly, we, we segued into Dem- Demetrius Johnson fought Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott, hell of a fighter, the number three seed on the show, was able – or was he the number seven seed? He was either number three or number seven, but he was able to win four fights against other champions to get the shot at Johnson. And then in the first round, completely dominated Johnson, outstruck him, took him down, was real awkward. And Demetrius Johnson, though, as the champion, showing the true medal that he has, you know, worked back. I gave Johnson three. I scored it three rounds to one with one even, although if I had to pick a winner of that round, I would have given it to Johnson. So 4-1. But Tim Elliott's the first dude in, I would say, sent Dominic Cruz to beat, to take a round from the champion. And that's got to be something to be said for him, and it's why he's ranked number five now by the Ultimate Fight Show. Um, just a really good showing for the young man, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. And again, I thought, Brad, you brought up a great point. Tim Elliott against Joseph Ben Badias, who was his coach on the show, that would be a hell of a fight, I think. Yeah, it really would be. Um, or, you know, Tim Elliott could fight the uh, opposite coach, uh, Henry Seduto, um, see how that goes. There's a few mm. options now, and him being, you know, it's almost a shame that he got a fight with Johnson so early because, uh, you know, given some build, they could have really made that into a, a huge uh, fight. And you never know what happens with a little more experience under Elliott's belt, but definitely some options now in that flyweight division. Absolutely. All right, let's go back to the rankings now that we broke that down and talk about the um, – I'm going to break down the women's bantamweight division. So Amanda Nunes, the champion, she'll defend her title against Ronda Rousey on December 30th, UFC 207. Uh, Chris Cyborg is number two by the ultimate fight show because we don't have a division and we all believe that she is probably the best women – fight woman fighter in the world at that weight but she can't really make the weight now Bray, this is interesting I, I i've dug into this a little bit further and found that the ufc actually did offer chris cyborg two title fights at 135 she said she could not make them then it came out that they offered her a fight at 140 against the catchweight person she against holly holm actually at 140 
she said that she couldn't do it because of her, uh, I guess her doctor said that, you know, that, and she was battling depression and got divorced from her husband. So that I guess they suggested that she not do that. Then Dana White, there's evidence now that they were going to create a, 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 a brand new division for her at 145 and have her fight Holly Holm. Cause I guess Holly Holm said that she is, would fight at 145 more naturally. And Cyborg just said that now she's not ready to fight until March. So a lot of, a lot of weird excuses, a lot of double talk coming from both of these uh, from Cyborg's camp and from Dana White's group. So it, it's kind of hard for the fan to decipher when we know more, you'll know more. But uh, it's an interesting situation to keep an eye on. At number four, we got Juliana Pena. Number five, Rachel Pennington, who retired, essentially, Misha Tate. At six, we got Val Shevchenko. Seven is Holly Holm. Kat Zingano, eight. Sarah McMahon, nine. Alexis Davis, ten. Bragg, take us through the straw weights. Yes, sir. uh, The the straw weight champion is Joanna Jodrek. God, I hate that. I hate that <laughs> I name. Know. I love the girl, but man, I hate her name. <laughs> 13 and 0, she's the women's strawweight champion. Uh, number two is Claudia Cadelia. Number three is uh, Carolina Kowalki. Number four is Jessica Andrade. Number five is Carlo Esperanza. Number six is Jessica Aguilar. Number seven is Tisha Torres. Number eight is Paige Van Zandt. Number nine is Joanna Calderwood, and number ten, Valerie Letourneau. A lot of lot of lot of tongue twisters in that division. You got to have a you got to have a passport to be able to name all those fighters. Um, let's get to the. I'll pound twist for my pound tongue a little bit now. on that division. Yeah. All right. We'll start with the notables. <laughs> uh, make, cracking cracking the top fifteen for the first time is Yoel Romero. We got uh, uh, kebab at. In there as well, Nate Diaz, Frankie Edgar, Robbie Lawler, and Joseph Ben Diaz. Uh, Bray, you want to take us 10 through 6? Absolutely. The middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Michael Bisbing, is at number 10. Number 9, uh, welterweight contender Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Number 8 is the welterweight champion, Mr. Tyron Woodley. Number 7, the former lightweight champion, TJ, I'm sorry, former bantamweight champion, TJ Dillashaw. And number six, the heavyweight champion of the world, Mr. Stipe Myosik. At number five, we have I, apparently, I guess, the new featherweight champion, Jose Aldo. <laughs> At four, we have the interim light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier. At number three, we have the bantamweight champion, Dominic Cruz. At number two is the double champ, Conor McGregor. And Mighty Mouse, with his win, hangs on to the top spot for another month. Had Johnson not, McGregor probably would be the number one, according to the Ultimate Fight Show. For all those rankings... So you don't again, think that holding the uh, belt in two divisions would count classify as a pound-for-pound bet? No, no, that, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if, Connor, if, if Demetrius Johnson didn't fight, it would be a no-brainer that Connor would be number one. But because of the longevity and the dominance and the fact that Demetrius Johnson really doesn't have an equal under 130 pounds in the entire world now, we found out, he still has to remain number one for right now. Again, we don't know what's going to happen. Plus, with Connor not fighting for 10 months, 
that could also be. We also have, uh, for those of you guys who are TV fans, um, Conor McGregor will be in the next season of Game of Thrones. They have not said um, what his role will be, but apparently the writers of the show are big fans of Conor McGregor, and Conor McGregor is actually friends with the guy that plays the mountain on the show, and there's a sparring session of them on YouTube if you really want to blow your mind watching uh, the strong man from Iceland who's 6'10", 400 pounds of pure muscle, chase Connor around. It's pretty interesting. But uh, so, yeah, they, uh, I guess a lot of the new season is shot in Ireland, and Connor McGregor was a natural fit, and they brought him in. So that's a pretty big feather uh, for him now getting recognized because Game of Thrones is probably the most popular show on television. So what do you think about that, Bragg? Oh, that is a huge uh... – huge boost for him. I I personally don't watch the show. I've just never sat down taking the time to watch it. But uh I know, I know, I know it's a great <laughs> show. Every every time I've caught some of it, I've really enjoyed it. I promised myself I was gonna go back from the beginning and watch it. Just yeah. never taking the time to do it. The one other the one other rumor about Conor McGregor and I know you I know it's your favorite thing in the world, but uh rumors are swirling that the WWE is offering him a spot at this year's WrestleMania, similar to the way mm-hmm. they did with Floyd Mayweather years ago. Um, from what I understand, I, I highly doubt that it's going to happen. But with the rumors that, or with the confirmation that Connor has said that he doesn't plan to fight until at least September of next year, um, the UFC seems to be giving him some leeway as far as his outside the promotion um, appearances. It, it, it could happen. Uh, who knows? I know a lot of wrestling fans would love to see it. Conor McGregor in the past, Conor McGregor's camp um, has not denied that there was interest and there has been talks there. And Conor McGregor in the past has uh, had Twitter, Twitter conversations back and forth with WWE uh, personalities and has taught wrestling in the past, so something to keep an eye on. You you, you never know if uh, Conor McGregor could be stepping into the WWE ring at uh, WrestleMania next year. Yeah, I, I, I could see that happening the same way that Ronda did it. I could see uh, Conor doing it to maybe bring his product or his brand to a wider audience. Plus, you know, Conor with a microphone is always box office gold. Um, but uh, I, I think a more interesting thing, and we're going to talk about it. We might as well talk about it now since we're, you know, about to segue into the boxing segment. But uh, Conor McGregor got his boxing license in California and um, apparently has been trying to get Mayweather to, to maybe come out of retirement for a scrap with him. Uh, so much so that even Vegas bookmakers put the odds at Floyd Mayweather 20 to 1. Um, in a boxing fight, and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot, lot of a lot of possibilities with uh, with Connor. So uh, we'll we'll keep you guys definitely posted. But it's now time for the boxing segment here at the Ultimate Fight Show.
That's right. It's uh, time to talk a little sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. Brag, I, I I know I know that you know, but we're gonna we're gonna enlighten the fans here. You know that Andre Ward uh, Sergey Kovalov. What a fight! What a fight! We haven't had an opportunity to talk about it on the air, so we'll, we'll start with both you and I both picked Andre Ward to win a close unanimous decision. I don't think either one of us thought the fight was going to go exactly the way that it did. We did think that there would be some controversy if it was close because, again, you got two undefeated fighters in their prime meeting. It's only the seventh time it's ever happened in the history of boxing. And, boy, we were right on all accounts. Bragg, tell me what you thought about the fight. Before you break it down, just when you watched the fight, did you watch it live? Did you watch it later? Have you watched it since? How many times? I just want to know, you know, kind of like where you're at with this fight. Uh, I watched it on a little bit of a delay. I watched it the following morning. Um, went to bed early. Okay. Uh, got up early and watched it. Haven't watched it since, but I will say this. It, it lived up to the hype. Uh, I was able to avoid the spoilers. Um, <laughs> had my phone turned off until I was actually watched it because I knew you'd be blowing it up. Um, just absolutely, it was a. It lived up to the hype. I mean, it was fight of the year. Um, if you know, if not obviously, arguably, two warriors in their prime, giving it everything they had for twelve rounds. Uh, you couldn't ask for you couldn't ask for a better fight. You, you really couldn't. Yeah, it was uh, it was just a special. Let, let 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 me tell you about my night, okay? So so I order the fight pay per view. I got Directv. You know everything's going good. And and for all you fight fans and listeners, you guys know that I had a large bet. We're talking eight thousand dollars on Andre Ward. So um, you know I was waiting, anticipating. Would you believe it that the power goes out because we're having a snowstorm? and wind and the power goes out when they're coming down to the ring. (laughs) So imagine me, I'm freaking out because not only is this the fight I've been waiting all years for, I mean, you know, this, we've had this show for four years and I was talking about this fight three years ago when it, when no one even thought about it. And so I'm waiting, my power goes out. I call direct TV. They refund my money immediately, which was really nice. And then I had, I had just gotten a new iPhone 7 Plus with the bigger screen, so I went to a website that I knew had the fight, courtesy of Al Bernstein, friend of the show, and I was able to catch right when the first round bell started. So all I missed was the intro, the national anthems, and all that stuff. But uh, I'll tell you what, the fight lived up to the hype. It was high-tense chess and drama at every turn, when Andre Ward got knocked down in the second round with a beautiful right hand by Kovalov, I was, I'll admit, I was a little nervous. I, 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 we talked about it on the show, and Al and I talked about it during our interview, that we wouldn't be surprised if, the, if, e, if each fighter got knocked down and got backed up, even though neither one of them have ever been down. Well, Kovalov delivered. I, I'll admit, I had, uh, after four rounds, I had it. I had Kovalov up 40 to 35 after four and it wasn't looking good, but then slowly, but surely Virgil Hunter, we said 
you and I said during our half-hour breakdown of this fight that the cerebral, the cerebral instincts that Andre Ward possesses as a mental fighter, Virgil Hunter telling him in the corner, I don't know if you got to see it because I don't know what telecast you watched, but he's in the corner saying, come on, Dre. He goes, you know what we came here for. We, didn't, we came here to take the titles, not, not to leave them. You're in this. You need this. He willed Andre Ward back into that fight. And Andre Ward slowly but surely started clipping him to the body, inches and angles, using that left hook. And like we said, we thought, Kovalov started to tire from chasing Andre around the ring. I gave Andre Ward seven of the last eight rounds, and I scored it 114 to 113, which is what all three judges had it. And I've watched that fight brag three times, and I've scored it the same way every single time. It's just such a close fight. You know, even even on fight night, Max Kellerman was telling was telling Letterman, Harold Letterman, who's a Hall of Famer, one of the best judges ever, and he had Kovalov winning one sixteen to one eleven, which was absurd because some of those rounds were so close that you know Max eventually when he when I watched the next week when he when they showed the replay on HBO, he said he scored at one fourteen one thirteen for Kovalov, but on fight night he thought Ward won. It's just one of those fights where if, you, if Ward was your guy, you thought that he got up off the deck and put out a show and showed what kind of champion. If Kovalov was your guy, you thought that he started off great, did okay in the middle rounds, and probably deserved a close decision. It's one of those ones for the, for the ages, only time will tell. Bragg, what did you – did the judges get it right? Mind, keep in mind. All three judges were American, no, and Kovalov from Russia, Ward from America. But just to be fair, Andre Ward has never fought in Las Vegas before that fight. So, Bragg, did they get it right? Do you think Kovalov has a right to be, to be whining and complaining, or do you think that the right man got the nod in the end? I think they got it right. I really do. And you could, and you could argue the points, uh, you know, give or take one here or there uh, throughout the fight because it was that close. I thought, looking at the body of uh, work, Andre Ward won the fight. Does Kovalov have a right to be complaining? No, not really. Um, of course, he's going to be disappointed, and of course, his camp's going to, you know, talk it up a little bit, but. I think they got it right, and I think, you know, we've seen fights before that have been controversial where you've had, you know, one judge score it pretty pretty correctly at, say, you know, 115-112, 115-113, something like that. You get two judges agreeing, and you've got that one judge who's right out of nowhere calling it, you know, 119 to 109. I think it was very telling that all three judges had the exact same score. You gave it the same score. I gave it the same score. Other <laughs> pundits who have, who have talked about it have given it was given it the same score. It was the consistency across the board reassures me as a fight fan that you know what they got it right. Now, were they now if they wanted to go and do it again? Would I argue it? Hell no. 
I'd watch that fight again. And they are going to do it again. Sergey Kovalov's camp has activated their rematch clause that they had in there. So Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalov, we don't have a date yet, but we know that they will fight sometime between April and June. So April, May, or June, we will see this fight again. And I thought just to recap, again, you know, in a close fight, both camps are going to think that they won. At the end of the day, what, what did it for me and, the, and, the, and why I thought that Ward really was the winner was let's reverse it. Let's say Andre Ward drops Kovalov in the second round for the first time in his career. I don't think Sergey Kovalov has the mental fortitude or the skills to come back and do what Andre Ward did against him. And that's why in a close fight, I'm going to give it to Andre Ward because I thought that he, I, th- I think that when historians go back and look at that fight and look at the body of, of work, they're going to be like, wow, Dre really showed something great that night. He was on another, he, he did something that was, and, and Andre Ward said it best and, and then we'll move on. But, you know, he said to, he said to Max Kellerman asked him, do, do you think, how close do you think it was? And do you think that, you know, he has a case and he goes, listen, if it was my camp and we lost, we would have thought that we, you know, should have won. His camp's going to think that they won. But at the end of the day, it's a fight and we got the belts tonight. And, and Ward was holding both belts. And that's all that he cares about is championships and his legacy. And if you look at Andre Ward, he's beaten no one but champions. Everyone in the Super Six was a champion. Everything he's done after that has been championship fights. So Andre Ward to go in there and beat the big bad bully that no one wanted to fight. And you and I talked about the conspiracies with HBO and Triple G and that they pushed Ward towards Kovalov. Well, now Andre, Andre did what he did and he got the belt. And, 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 and I'll agree here real quick. I know I said to be the last one, but you know, you know, I love this fight, but, um, What's to make us think that Kovalov could do better in a rematch? I mean, Andre Ward, Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather, these are dudes who if you let them see the test and then you try to fight them again, how could you possibly do better? Maidana thought he could do better. He couldn't. Costello thought he could do better. You never do better. So, Andre, I, I, I personally think that I'll, I don't think Kovalov has a chance in the rematch. Am I wrong here? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, he has a chance but I think it's an easier fight in the rematch. Hey, it, it could be. Um, I was going to ask you the question, where do you think this fight takes place at? Do you think it goes back to Vegas? Or do you think uh, it perhaps could, could it happen in Madison Square Garden maybe? Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely not in Vegas again, but it's not. Kovalov doesn't have enough star power to get – to get Andre Ward to lead the country and go to Russia. So that leaves, like you said, it, it either leaves the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, or Andre Ward, because he has such a big following in, in the Bay Area in California where every one of his fights has been, that could also be, you know, this could be a situation where Ward says, hey, we'll give you guys an extra million dollars to let me fight in my hometown to defend the belt. You know, at the end of the day, you still got to get in the ring and fight. So it's not that much of an advantage. And to get an extra million bucks or something like that, you know, we could say. But I will say this, great fight. 
lived up to the hype. Got to be the fight of the year because of how big it was. Was it the best fight of the year? No. But was it, it was the best fight with the highest stakes. There was nothing, there was nothing bigger than on November 19th when Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev were fighting. There was nothing bigger than that. And Andre Ward, SOG, came out on top. Kudos to him. Let's, real quick, I wanted to talk about um, another guy who's a pound-for-pound great, and that's uh, Vasily Lomachenko. He was fighting Nicholas Walters, if you remember, the guy that knocked out Nonito Donaire, and Lomachenko-Walters, both undefeated, fighting at 130 pounds for Lomachenko's title. Walters had the other one, and it was a whitewash brag. I mean, Lomachenko essentially made Walters' corner say no mas. I mean, he just stopped fighting after the seventh round when he was down seven rounds to zero. He was just like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't touch this guy tonight. Like, he's just too good. So in a way, I respect Walters for being like, okay, I don't want to take any more punishment. I can't beat this guy tonight. But what do you think about Lomachenko? And then what do you think about Walters just quitting instead of going out on his shield when there was another five rounds that he had, he hadn't been down or really hurt in the fight. You know, and that, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to, to say, to say. And, uh, you know, you hate seeing that when a fighter is just defeated and just gives up. Uh, very, very disappointing as a fan. Um, very, you know, heartbreaking as a human being. Um, but he was getting beat. Uh, th- there was no upside for continuing that fight, honestly. Um, it wasn't batted up that the referee was going to stop it. So, But Lemachenko, I mean, he's he's legit. I mean, right now he's 7-1-5. and five. Um, He's a guy that's moving up the ranks, and he's a dangerous, dangerous dude. Um, I really, really look forward to seeing his 2017 uh, to see exactly where he goes. There's actually a rumor, and it's not something that I can, like, I, I wouldn't put my reputation on it, but there has been rumblings that, excuse me, that if Manny Pacquiao cannot make a fight with Floyd Mayweather for next year, that Lomachenko is, is somebody who's not going to stay at 130 pounds. So, we could see a Manny Pacquiao to Sally Lomachenko at 140 pounds, which is Pacquiao's best weight, I think. That's where he knocked out Ricky Haddon cold in his last real knockout. Because the Cotto fight, I don't even really consider that a knockout because it was in the 12th round and he wasn't really knocked out. They just stopped the fight. Um, the uh, That's an interesting fight. Lomachenko's the greatest amateur that ever lived. He 400 wins, one loss, three gold medals in a row. I mean, there's nobody better than him, and he's a southpaw, which makes it even harder to fight. So, um, a lot of, like you said, his future's looking bright, and uh, we're definitely going to be uh, really excited when he fights. Let's do the pound-for-pound pound list right now. We have, uh, I'll start off with the notables for the December boxing. A lot of shake-up here on the Ultimate Fight Show list, if you keep track month to month. Um, Shinsuke Yamanaki, he's the only guy that, People think can challenge Chocolatito. He's cracking the list here. Mikey Garcia, undefeated lightweight champion, was away for two years, came back with a bang. We expect him to be in the list. But this time next year, Garcia should be on the top 10 pound-for-pound list. 
is Randy Lara, Danny Garcia, who has a showdown with Keith Thurman coming up soon, Adonis Stevenson, who – and, Brent, Brent, here's the other thing, man. Look at Adonis Stevenson. This is a guy that they tried to get him and Kovalov to fight. We couldn't make a deal. Now Andre Ward goes in there and beats Kovalov. Once Ward and Kovalov settle their, their rematch – how big is an Adonis Stevenson Andre Ward title fight for the real title? Because remember, Adonis Stevenson has the lineal title. He beat Chad Dawson, who was the champion. But remember, Andre Ward knocked Chad Dawson out also. Huge, huge implications. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, a, that is a fight that on the horizon that I really, really am looking forward to seeing. Adonis Stevenson is a guy that not a lot of people know about. Yet, I mean, he, he's a he's Superman. Boxing fans, boxing fans know who he is. Uh, mainstream guys don't yet. They will. That's going to be one hell of a fight. Absolutely, Carl Frampton, Tim Bradley, and Kel Brook round out the notables. Bragg, you want to take us ten through six? I will. As you mentioned, Mr. Keith Thurman, he sits at number 10, 27-0 and twenty twenty-four knockouts, fighting Danny Garcia. Uh, number nine is Guillermo Rigondeaux, 17 and 0. Number eight, uh, Manny Pacquiao, still hanging around, 58, 6 and 2, 38 knockouts. And number seven, the aforementioned Vasil Lomachenko, 7 and 1, five knockouts. And number six is Saul Canelo Alvarez, 48, 1 and 1, 34 knockouts. Sergey Kovalov drops to number five at 31 and 1 with 26 knockouts. Terrence Crawford, who I believe will be the best fighter in the world pound for pound in the next two years, is at number four, 29 and 0 with 20 knockouts. He fights this weekend, Bud as they call him. Um, Triple G at number three, 36 and 0 with 33 knockouts, and at number two, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez at 46 and 0 with 38, and at number one for the first time all year since Floyd retired and Chocolatito and new light heavyweight champion of the world, Andre Ward, 31-0, 15 knockouts. It doesn't get bigger than that, folks. Uh, and that's the boxing pound-for-pound pound list. And now we will break down the boxing this week. We got about 10 minutes before Chan calls in, and we break down UFC 206. So let's you know, we're not going to do our normal diligence with the boxing this week, but that's because heavyweights are fighting. And let's face it, guys, they should be knocking people out, so we don't really have to break down stuff. Let's go with uh, <laughs> Joseph, Joseph Parker against Andy Ruiz for the WBO heavyweight title fight. Parker is a guy that a lot of these, both these Parker boys, Joseph and Anthony, are fighting this weekend. They're both fighting in pieces, alphabet titles, Bragg, who do you like between Joseph Parker and Andrew Ruiz Saturday night? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good fight. Uh, Ruiz, uh, if he can get up early, I think he has a chance to pull out a decision victory. But uh, Parker's fighting. Uh, he'll have the home uh, home ring advantage here. Uh, I like Parker to get by with a pretty close unanimous decision victory. It's going to be a good fight. Yeah, I like Parker by unanimous decision. I think that uh, he might even score a knockdown. Um, but Ruiz is one of those guys that if he's committed to go all five, all 12, he will. Um, Anthony Parker, Eric Molina for the IBF heavyweight title. I like Anthony Parker to win by knockout in the third round. Bragg, how do you have it? 
Yeah, this Parker pipes a little more of a punch than uh, Joseph does. I like Parker <laughs> to win by yeah. KO also. Um, I was giving him the sixth round. Okay. All right, now we get into uh, some of the lower weight guys. We got uh, Charmel Charo. Um, Jamal, I mean, I'm sorry, Jamal, Jamal Charo against Julian Williams. This is one of the Charo brothers, 154 IBF title fight. This is a good fight. Julian Williams is a tough guy, good jab. But I'm going to go with uh, Charlo to make a statement and win a, win, win a close unanimous decision. Uh, once again, I agree with you here. I think Charlo, it is going to be a good fight. A lot of action you're going to see here, but I think Charlo uh, pulls away late for the UD. And the main event, the big fight on Saturday night, the 140-pound WBO-WBC title unification fight between John Molina and Terrence Bud Crawford. We could get into it. Both guys are undefeated. Both guys are ready to fight. I just think that Crawford's on a whole other level, and I think he, this is a showcase fight for him. I think Crawford wins by knockout in the ninth round. Bragg, who do you got? You know, once again, this, this could be a really good fight. It could, be, it could be a fight that sneaks up on you. Um, I agree, though. I think Crawford is uh, head and shoulders above Molina at this point in his career. I don't think it'll go down as easily as you say. I think Crawford wins this fight. I think he has the battle early, but I think he pulls away late and gets a uh, wide UD. All right. And those are the fights for this weekend. Uh, Looking on the horizon, not a lot of boxing scheduled in December. It's never really been a big month. Uh, They like to do their recaps and the showcases and stuff like that. So this is probably the last real big weekend for boxing of the year, although we'll still keep you up to date with the latest and best news from around the squared circle. All right, let's, uh, we're getting close to uh, our boy Chan calling in here, MMA blogger, uh, fellow Sharp. For those of you uh, gamblers out there, Sharps are people who, you know, they gamble for a living and, um, you know, they seem to know a lot about the intricacies of the stuff they gamble on. So Chan's going to be on, and we're going to talk, uh, break down this UFC 206 card. But um, uh, we got about five minutes till that. So let's talk, Bragg, first about um, kind of about the direction that the UFC seems to be going now with this new deal, with the Reebok deal, and, you know, just some of the, the matchups that we can – that we're starting to see put together from the new, the new organization is, do you think that fight fans are going to benefit from this deal with the new ownership? Or do you think that we've seen the, the best of the old UFC, like the stuff that we used to love, the good fights, you know, or do you think that that's kind of done now? Well, I'll tell you, it's really going to be interesting because, and I was explaining to, um, couple of people before they were you know asking me about this you know with the, the new owners of the USC these guys aren't MMA guys they're, they're business owners and what you're seeing in a lot of sense and a guy like Conor McGregor could possibly be taken advantage of is I mean they're they are in it for the business they're in it for the money they're in it to make money so you may get an opportunity here to see some big-time fights coming up, some big cross-promotions with other um, 
in other avenues, such as, as we talked about earlier, Connor with the Game of Thrones or possibly go um, at, at uh, WrestleMania this year. That's the one glimmer of hope I have in the possibility of Conor McGregor fighting Floyd Mayweather. If it were the Fajitas <laughs> still in charge, if it were Dana White still have as much say as he used to, I'm not sure they would take that chance to let McGregor fight. However, obviously that fight's going to make billions of dollars. I mean, th- that that is a super fight mm-hmm. if there ever was one. Uh, you've got a different set of owners now. You've got owners that might be willing to uh, put their boy out there to uh, bring in that cash and to promote it. So it's very interesting uh, moving forward. Uh, you may see some great things come out of this as far as some super fights that normally wouldn't be made or some cross promotions. But as far as MMA goes, and and, and again, you, you're seeing that sort of this weekend with the interim title uh, put on the line. Does that fight need an interim title? No, it doesn't. It should be a number one contender fight. The winner gets Jose Aldo in the spring. Uh, but you're, they're getting an interim title uh, fight. Uh, Ronda Rousey's back. You know They brought her back into the fold. She immediately gets a title shot um, and, a, and a main event slot in the New Year's Eve show. So um, you may see a little bit of a different direction with the UFC goes. And I'll tell you what, uh, we don't talk about it very much, but if you're not paying attention to what Bellator is doing, they, they, they're trying to move away, I think, a little bit from their freak show aspect um, that had a bad reputation earlier in the year when you had Shamrock and uh, uh, Kimbo fighting and um, was it Gracie and Shamrock fought as well or Dada and yeah. Kimbo. Um, Bellator seems to have turned the corner a little bit. They seem to be taking um, their promotion a little more serious now, so Keep an eye on what they're doing. And, oh, yeah, by the way, um, there's a little something brewing along with uh, Bellator's former uh, CEO, Born uh, Rebney. Uh, He's got together a couple of pretty big names, GSP, Cowboy Cerrone, off the top of my head, Cain Velasquez. Mm -hmm. They formed a bit of a union. Uh, Yeah. That little association they've got there, could really stir a few things up. What is your when you heard that was happening? What was your opinion of that? And what do you? How do you think that's going to impact the UFC and MMA in general moving forward? It's funny that you said that because I was going to bring up the union part to you as my next question. So you know, great minds think alike. I, I think it's a. We say this all the time. We say how much better. MMA is because they don't have some of the old oligarchy and hangups that boxing had with the, you know, with the four titles and the alphabet soups and the promoters and the, uh, you know, the mafia back in the forties, fifties and six MMA Dana White, because he was from that boxing old school kind of steered away from that stuff. And that's why you had the best fighting the best and one belt, one division. But now if you think about it, they're really close to being almost exactly like boxing. Boxing has 17 divisions. UFC, when they first started, had five. Now, think about how many divisions the UFC has. I believe it's up to nine now, and they're talking about adding a 10th and 11th. They now have gloves that are four ounces. They now have rounds. They now have intricate rounds where you can give a 10-8 scoring, the same as in boxing. 
they now the fighters want to unionize like they did in boxing. There's there's a lot of little things. Um, it, it seems to me like like MMA has to have their civil war kind of where they're going to have their you know they need to have their upheaval where the fighters are getting better wages they can promote etc cetera, etc cetera, and we're going to see that happening i got chan calling in right now and i'm going to bring him into the loop here and we'll have a three-way discussion about this hey what's going on guys all right we uh we're, we're proud to have for the first time we got a long time listener first time caller but uh, mr chan johnny chan uh mma blogger and sharp how you doing tonight I'm doing really well. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm a big fan. I love the fact that you guys are talking about this already, and I'm ready to get started. How are you guys doing? Real well. Uh, Bragg? Johnny, I've heard of all about you, man. It's a pleasure to finally get to speak with you. Almost definitely. And, you know, I'm really fired up for this thing, and I've been watching it all week, and I can't wait uh, for Saturday and, and, and for the get down. So, talk to me. Where are you guys? What are you guys talking about? Where are we at? Well, first we're gonna we're, we 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 haven't broken down the card yet. We got on a little bit of a side um, note, and we we want to bring you into it. We were just talking about. Um, do you think that MMA now with the new deal? with the new owners who are more business minded and not really fighters. And, you know, do you think that we're going to start seeing bottom line kind of matchups? Like we like, you know, Rhonda coming back, getting a title shot, not really deserving it because she puts asses in the seats. We were talking about Conor McGregor. Now he said he's going to take 10 months off and he's doing game of Thrones and possibly WrestleMania. Do you think that we're, that we've seen the last, of the great UFC that we know it or because of this new deal? What, what do you think, Chan? Well, I see because it's being as, you know, like a raw and, you know, a raw sport from the beginning and the basics that right now the evolution of anything is to become commercialized once it's become a huge conglomerate. And right now what you're seeing is, you know, the big elephant just stepping around and consuming these other organizations to, to try to unify stuff. So I get the efforts there and I understand that, you know, on some level, you know, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I was one of the original fans of WWF before it was WWE. And you can kind of see like the, uh, the branding, in which, you know, they've embedded, you know, throughout the clothing and the gear, uh, you know, they weren't allowed to rock their sponsorships the same way. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's unfortunate to see that stuff go out the window. As far as the fights and the matchups, you know, I think that, you know, typically, you know, they, they try to stay on the same lines of the public, you know, consensus of what the people want to see, which is the story. And then, unfortunately, it's the Americans who want more of the story versus the fighting guys who want more of the fight and more of these matchups. So, you know, it's funny that, you know, eventually it, it gets watered down that way. And then it's kind of hard to separate, you know, who are the, I guess, you know, original, you know, fans versus the guys who have now joined the, the bandwagon that's been moving at a million miles an hour. It's really interesting, Greg. I want you to comment on what Chan said, but I just want to set this up here. Uh, I thought that you brought up a really good point about how it's compelling now that 
you know, Americans want these storylines. And that's kind of what, what, before you called in, we were talking about how has MMA, they've always prided themselves in not being like boxing. But if you think about it, now there's nine divisions, possibly 11. Boxing has 17. The judging, the, 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 the gloves. Now they're talking about interim titles all the time, whereas boxing has four belts. The UFC was always able to stay great because it was one fighter, one champion, one division. And so I thought you brought up a good point because in boxing, that's why boxing sells. That's why Floyd Mayweather makes $300 million when he fights is because of the stories. And I think in boxing, because it's, they protect their fighters from those tough sh- summit meetings like they have an MMA every other week. These guys build these storylines. And so, Brad, you know, we have a storyline developing right now between Canelo and Triple G that's about a year and a half in the making, and we can even use that. Like, so tell me what you thought about what Chan said and then what I just, you know, brought into this. Oh, I definitely agree with uh, both of you guys and to touch on what Chan said. Uh, in this ADD culture that especially the United States has, uh, the social media uh, era that we're in right now, you know, things move 90 to nothing. Uh, things are moving a million miles an hour. And so you've got they, people, fighters a lot of times, they have to keep, they feel like they have to keep themselves relevant uh, to talk the game. You know, Conor McGregor's on Twitter uh, saying things. Uh, you've got fighters, and it's really become more – these storylines, while they are great and they're fun to talk about and speculate on and it really builds up to the fight, um, it's very similar to, like you said, you know, boxing's done in the past. Uh, professional wrestling uh, does it better than anybody. Uh, you're getting a lot of that, and there are a lot of changes coming up in the MMA world. I know uh, next year um, I'll be going to the um, – Referee and, uh, referee and judges uh, course beginning in February next year, there are some changes in the rules and changes in the judging criteria coming out. Uh, you've got, do not forget too, the, UFC, the Fox contract with the UFC is up at the end of next year. So there's going to be negotiations going on for the TV deal, which is, of course, TV rights are the mm-hmm. moneymaker right now. So that's that's something you can't sleep on either, but it's definitely a an evolution of the sport. It's definitely a progression. Uh, the fights are going to be there once you get inside the cage and lock that door behind you. You know, two guys or the two girls are going to get in there and they're going to give it all they got. And that's really for fight fans. That's what it comes down to. That that is the climax. But exactly, you know, what does it hurt to have a little bit of entertainment going the, along the way? Jan. Exactly. And you know what? It, it comes down to even like that primitive level of even if you were to imagine us still in that big classroom, you know, when that fight was going down and it was scheduled between two guys and if it was the two toughest guys, you know, the climax of the fight was the buildup of it all and how it evolved to where, you know, finally they, they, these two tough guys got to rumble and, and, and pit it out. So it's like, one of those things where that continued throughout time, but yet now that media has gotten so good as far as the actual network that it can reach its potential you know, consumers, it's demanding a bigger storyline and, 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 and a bigger broadcast of you know, the, 
the the fight behind it, which is not necessarily the physical aspects when they're in the cage, but maybe the build up to it, you know. And so what we're seeing is like kind of like a combination of just good technology uh, uh, meeting, you know, good build up of, of of good plots, and you know they're they're going to construct it the way they have to, and then that's what's going to happen. And and I mean it, again, it always comes. It's funny how it always comes down to stuff you do when you're five. You know, I thought that Chan brought up, you know, when you, it's true though, when, when, when you're in school and it's like, oh, you know, Tommy, he's pretty tough over there. And then did you see so-and-so? And then it's more, it's usually the friends that amp up the, the stories and the drama. And then the two people have to go and fight and they don't even really care about what's going right. on. But you you know, and that's in like Burt Sugar, the late great Burt Sugar. When you know we've used it before, when he used when he talked about uh, the thriller in Manila with Frazier and Ali, and he said in the when we look back through the annals of time to the time when people wore yoga, you know, togas and wore grapes and fed the competitors the lions, he's like, you know, that was one of the greatest fights of all time ever. It didn't matter that you know what, what doesn't matter what decade a fight takes place. And if it's great, it's always going to be great. So, real good, real good stuff, guys. Now we got to talk about UFC 206, Holloway Pettis, live from Air Canada Center in Toronto, Saturday night. We're going to uh, break down the top four fights here, and we'll start with Tim Kennedy against Kevin Ga- uh, Kelvin Gaslam, former winner of Tough. Kennedy, of course, with the strike force background and the military background, both guys coming in. Gaslam was at 170, kind of ate his way out of the division. He's back at 85. What are your thoughts on this fight, Bragg, and who do you got? And then we'll get Chan's opinion and then mine. Yeah, this is a real interesting fight. As you said, Gaslam was scheduled, fight, scheduled to fight Cowboy Cerrone, uh, missed the weight. That fight was canceled. Now he gets a middleweight fight with Tim Kennedy who was scheduled to fight Rashad Evans at light heavyweight. However, Rashad got injured or was ill. Um, now he's now he's fighting there at middleweight. So it's a very interesting uh, fight on both ends. Um, I'm a big Tim Kennedy fan. I really like the guy. Uh, I think he's got a lot going for him, a lot of upside. Um, I think he gets this fight done. I think he... Uh, you might be surprised, but I think he's going to submit Kevin Gaslam in the second round. All right. Chan, what do you see going down in this fight? You know, I see Tim Kennedy is definitely one of the alpha males of, you know, the division. Uh, you know, obviously with his loss to Yoel Romero in the last one, you know, even the fact that Yoel Romero, you know, didn't come off his stool and gave him, you know, a, a real tough break there. It's unfortunate that Tim Kennedy took the loss there because he's so close to putting, you know, Yoel Romero, who I believe, you know, will be champion based on, you know, him and Bisbee go to war. So taking a look at the overall look of this, you know, Kennedy is definitely one of the straight, you know, alpha males inside of that division to try to put away a guy like Yoel. You know, it takes some real heart and some real, you know, imposing of your will, I guess you can say. But when it comes down to Kevin Gastelum, I feel like he has a lot of energy output and he's kind of like arriving to an age in his, you know, in his own sense to where he's like learning his skills, learning his skill sets. And so I can see that fight, you know, just being a three round fight, being one of those things to where, 
you know, Kevin Gastelum, I feel like has a, a lot, a lot larger of an energy tank and his energy output might be kind of significant enough to where I don't really see either guy getting put away, but if it was to go down to, to, to decision, I feel like based on Kevin Gastelum's tank and his youth that he has enough to outwork Tim Kennedy in a few different areas. Um, and I can kind of see him grinding out the cage a little bit, but I can kind of see it being a real tug of war, tug of war match against the cage. And I'm kind of working that. I can kind of see that visibly being the case, but as far as the stand-up goes, I feel like Kevin Gastelum's kind of improved his technique a little bit. Cause you saw him going from like a low, you know, changing of stances, changing levels there to kind of like a higher Muay Thai stance, which, kind of made him a little bit more dangerous in the Hendricks fight when he fought another wrestler. And I see Hendricks as one of the more dominant wrestlers in that division. So I don't see, you know, um, a bully match as much from Tim Kennedy's side. Uh, what do you think about that, um, so, Larry? So you're picking Gaslam then by UD? My pick would probably be with Gaslam based on the youth and the endurance and also Kevin Gaslam kind of, you know, switching up his technique a little bit, which I felt like, you know, kind of gave him a little bit of an edge against other wrestlers because he was standing a little bit taller. You know, he was mixing up with some kicks. And I felt like he was becoming a little bit more, you know, with his age and his wisdom, I think he's becoming a little bit more uh, diverse with his martial arts. And I see him being a little bit more active and a little bit more pressure and a little bit, you know, a lot less fear uh, of the takedown. So I don't know. I just, I see it going kind of, Kevin Gastelum's way as far as the pressure and stuff. And for that reason, I think the judges are going to, you know, have Kevin Gastelum by decision in that fight. Yeah, I'm going, I'm not going to spend any more time because I think both my, you know, uh, my, my guys here broke it down pretty well. I think uh, the the thing for me is they're both good. I think the extra weight is going to help Gastelum and the dude got gas in the first three letters of his name which means that, you know, he's got energy. He's got the tank. I'm going with Gaslam by unanimous decision. All right, moving on to the featherweight fight. We got Cub Swanson against Duho Chu. Now, the, Chu's 14-1, and a little bit bigger. Swanson coming off of a loss, but still kind of in the mix kind of guy. Chan, let's start with you first. Quickly, who do you think? Give me give me one good thing from each guy, and then who do you think is going to win, and what's your pick? Well, Du Ho Chu, great record. I mean, uh, almost flawless in, in that respect. But, you know, a lot of his organization, a lot of his fights have been out in Asia. And, you know, Cuff Swanson has a, a, a stellar, uh, you know, repertoire himself. And I see it being like a real tight, uh, you know, tough slow match and stand-up, a lot of stand-up. But I think – in some way, uh, Duho Chin, I think, is going to finish Cub Swanson based on him just closing in on space and eventually, you know, keeping that space. And, you know, honestly, just uh, Duho Chin, I think, is going to win based on his talent. And, you know, I think UFC is, is looking to build different interests with, with other fighters. And so I believe mm-hmm. Duho Chin is going to be one of the guys that they use to propel that. So Duho Chin. By, by which method? I believe knockout. Um, I think he's going to uh, surprise him. He's, I, Duho Chen has an amazing uh, lead hand um, uh, right, which is basically kind of unorthodox. You know, for a lot of the fighters in the cage, they don't like to lead with their power hand. 
because they don't want to get clipped. Yeah. But he does a, a good job of tucking into it and, you know, just letting him go. And I see him taking a little bit more chances in the fight versus Cub Swanson. And I feel like Cub Swanson's been in the organization, you know, long enough to where right now he doesn't want to make mistakes as Duho Chen is kind of, you know, a free-spirited fighter to do whatever it takes. So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Duho right. Chen seeing that, yeah. Bragg, who, Bragg, who do you got in this one? Um, I'm, I'm, a, I agree with, um, I like, uh, Chen to win this fight. Uh, he's got, he's 15 to one. That one loss was a split decision loss back in 2010. He's 15 to one. He has 12 knockouts or TKO, um, in his career. Just a lot of power. Uh, Cub Swanson's no slouch, but, um, I like, uh, I like Duho to win this fight, uh, by knockout in the second round. Yeah, I mean, the thing, you guys both brought up good points, but you, you, you know Bragg from years with me on the show, and Chan, you're going to find out that, you know, the, the fact that when a new fighter comes over to the UFC from other organizations, they usually have a tough time in the cage. Chu is a little different because he's fought three times in the UFC since coming over from deep, and he's won all three by first-round knockouts. So it's kind of tough to to argue with that. And since Chan is our uh, fellow uh, Asian, and he, he likes Chow, I'm going with Chow here too. So let's eat. And I'll go with Chow by, uh, by you. I think it's going to be a, a, a unanimous decision, though. I think Cub is crafty enough that if he's in shape, he'll show Chu some angles and maybe be able to take this the distance. But I think he loses all three rounds. Um Let's get to the co-main event now. We got Matt Brown, your boy, Bragg, against Cowboy Cerrone. This is a really good fight, guys, on paper. I know that, uh, you know, this is, this is just one of those fights that people want to see. They're not really, we're not really sure what Cowboy's got at this weight for real against a real guy. And Matt Brown's a gatekeeper at this, at this weight class. So, Bragg, since it's your boy... I'm going to let you start us off, and why don't you break this down for us? Yeah, you, you know how much I love Matt Brown. He He's a guy, though, unfortunately, he's lost four out of his last five fights. Uh, those five, four losses have been to Robbie Lawler, Johnny Hendricks, Damian Maia, and Jake Ellenberger, so no, no slouches there. Uh, does have a win over uh, Stephen Thompson. Uh, that was an impressive victory, but that was early in Thompson's career. Cowboy Cerrone, though, he's been hot, and he's on a roll right now. Um, I love both of these guys. My heart breaks for this fight because I want to see both of these guys succeed and do well. But um, when it comes down to it, I I think Cerrone um, is is still – he's got something to prove at welterweight. Like you said, Matt Brown is a gatekeeper at this point, although a very talented one and a dangerous one. these guys are going to beat the hell out of each other for 15 minutes, but I think in the end, Cerrone gets his hand raised with a decision victory. Chan? Um, I I looked far into this fight, too, and you know what? I have it the same way that Bragg has it over there because I feel like Cerrone has a little bit more craft in his game as far as when it goes to the ground. You know, I was really disappointed to see his attempts against Damian Maya when Damian Maya um, you know, took his back. But I feel like, you know, the fight in the stand-up game, um, it's a pretty well-matched 
uh, fight in the stand-up. But Cerrone has a little bit more in his arsenal with his kicks. Um, I believe that, you know, Cerrone has a, a good enough sprawl game to, to negate anything that Matt Brown tries to do as far as takedowns. And I do see it um, uh, a Donald Cerrone win, um, but I do not see a knockout. I see Donald Cerrone outpointing him and pushing him around, but we know that Matt Brown has a, like a real serious chin and a real, you know, um, fierce, you know, competitive nature, but I don't think it's enough to weather um, the output and the speed of Donald Cerrone. So uh, also Donald Cerrone. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, with my counterparts here and say Cerrone, but I, I think, I think Brown is, I think his downfall is the fact that, like Chan said, and uh, what I know from how Bragg feels about Brown, his braveness is going to get him knocked out in this fight. I think the first two rounds are competitive. They're both banging it out. But I think, again, Cerrone's intangibles are going to carry the day. And I think at some point in the middle of the third, he's going to stand. I don't think he gets knocked out, knocked out, but I think the referee's going to come in and save him from punches somewhere in the middle of the third round. But uh, I like Cerrone in that one, which now brings us to the main event. So we're going to let uh, Bruce do it for us. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. It's time! The main event, featherweight, championship interim title on the line, Anthony Showtime Pettis against Max Holloway, number four and number five ranked respectively by the Ultimate Fight Show. It's it's a fight that, you know, as the co-main event was going to be great as a main event. I'm glad we get to see five rounds and it's, you know, I'm going to let you guys uh, break this thing down for me and then I'll come in last, but let's start with, let's start with Bragg. Who do you got in this one and why? Oh, man. I, this is a good fight. This really is a great fight. Two guys who um, really deserve this position. Anthony Pettis is a guy who I really haven't been high on for a while. Um, but he has moved to, has moved to featherweight. I think has rejuvenated his career, and I think he's at a point he looked really good a bit against Charles Oliveira um, back in August. Uh, submission victory there. But before that, he had lost three in a row at light, uh, lightweight. Um, Max Holloway has been on such a roll. I, I've, I've been rooting for this guy for a year now. I really wanted him to get a title shot. I really wanted him to get a chance and Every time you turn around, it was Conor McGregor getting a title shot, you know, Josie Aldo losing, and then you got Aldo and Edgar for the interim title in, in July. I'm torn on this fight. My brain is telling me Anthony Pettis is going to win this fight, and he's telling me that he's going to win this fight probably by submission somewhere in the third or fourth round, but... I'm going to go out on a limb like I like to do, and I'm saying Max Holloway goes out and steals this fight in a very, very, very close fight. Could be a split decision. Could be one of these fights we argue about afterwards. But I think Max Holloway 
pulls out a split decision victory over Anthony Pettis and becomes the UFC interim. All right, Chan, I know you're chomping at the bit to 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 to, to point out why the brag man is going to be on the wrong side Saturday night, so have at it. Well, Larry knows me a little bit, and it's not like I'm on some type of Anthony, you know, Pettis bandwagon of some sort. But what I'm going to say is this. you got a guy with Anthony Pettis who's already been a champion in a higher division of bracket. That's like a guy in wrestling moving down in weight to go, you know, cream the, the, the JV below him. You know what I mean? And I'm not calling that weight mm-hmm. division necessarily JV. There's a, there's a bracket of talent in there. But when you take a guy like Anthony Pettis, who was already reigning at champion, you got to believe he already dropped weight enough to fight, you know, at that weight division at 155 to take that belt. Then to drop even more significant weight, I mean, the day of the fight, you know, you got to believe that he's going to be somewhat of the bigger man in the sense of, you know, his natural walking weight. So, you know, I liked Anthony Pettis from just like a base man-to-man level. But I also think that Anthony Pettis is one of the most creative fighters next to, like, Dominic mm-hmm. Cruz as far as his his attempts, his styles. And it's the most passive-aggressive, you know, stuff going on in martial arts with this guy because, you know, nothing, he doesn't look like he's in attack mode. And his kicks literally look like bats hitting people. So, you know, I see Max Holloway, you know, trying to make it a boxing match but Anthony Pettis' stand-up is going to be a kickboxing match. And I don't see Max Holloway being able to match that, that, that elite kicking strategy from Anthony Pettis to the body. And I feel like that he's going to work this, this until he wears on the endurance of Max Holloway. And I believe that he'll have higher output in the fight. And you're just like you guys said, you know, it could come decisions and cards. There was something controversial there, but I honestly believe that Anthony Pettis has not never been in a in a in a in a dangerous situation while he's been fighting. And I know that sounds crazy because he took a loss, you know, obviously to RDA. He took that loss followed up by um, you know a couple guys after that, right? Edson Barbosa is who I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Edson Barbosa, yeah. he took a loss too, and it's. It's somewhat unfortunate, but I, I believe that Anthony Pettis, he, you know, he's, he's obviously gone down there, and it's okay to, for, for black belts to go beat up on some blue belts. I'm just saying. <laughs> Let me say this. So what's your pick? Pettis, wait, 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 uh, so, so wait, wait. I need, I need a decision, though. So Pettis by decision, or is that your pick then? I see actually Pettis wearing him down, and then at some point uh, – uh, taking it to the ground in probably like the third or fourth round uh, with a technical submission. Yeah, just a submission via okay. submission. Submission submission in the fourth round. All right, uh, Bragg, you can go ahead. Before I break it down, you ask Cham what you wanted to. Well, I was just – I was actually going to reiterate what he said. Um, I, while he was talking, I was looking it up. And, and let's look at Anthony Pettis for a second. You know, you mentioned his losses to uh, RDA – Eddie Alvarez was the third uh, man he right. lost to, and also Edson Barbosa. Those were all decision victories. Uh, he hasn't been stopped. Uh, in fact, he hasn't been stopped in his career. Uh, he lost a split decision. He's lost uh, his four losses, I'm sorry, his uh, five losses, uh, two splits and uh, three unanimous decisions. So Anthony Pettis is a tough guy, and I really – it sounds contradictory. I, I agree with everything Johnny said. 
uh, about Anthony Pettis, and there's no reason he should not win this fight, to be quite honest with you. Um, but if, I'm going to shut up talking before I change my pick. I'm going to stick with Holloway. For you, and I think you both make really compelling points for, but someone's got to be the voice of reason here, and I guess that falls on me. So um, let's, start with, let's start with Anthony Pettis, all right? Again, guy's been a champion at WEC. He had the Showtime kick against uh, Benson Henderson. He was a champion in the UFC. But this is also a guy who struggled with Clay Guida, who lost to Oliveira, who lost to Eddie. And you saw what Connor did to Eddie. Meanwhile, when you flip the script, yeah, Pettis is acclimated to 145 now. He should be the bigger man. I like that point that Chan brought up. I think he will be the bigger man that night. But, Brad, you know this from knowing my boxing background and, you know, Chan's learning it, but my dad told me a long time ago, B-I-G don't spell bad. And just because you're big doesn't mean you're bad. And I know Pettis has the athleticism, but I think Max Holloway learned a lot from Conor McGregor from that L he took. And if you go back, they went all, they went the distance. Conor didn't stop Max Holloway. Max Holloway's going to be the faster fighter in there. He's going to be, he's going to use his boxing kind of the way Benson Henderson tried to do and was effective to a certain extent. I think Holloway's going to pick his spots in and out, not try, not go to the ground. And Chan is absolutely right. The X factor in this fight to me is Anthony Pettis' leg kicks. If Anthony Pettis, with his creativity and the way he likes, if he's in shape and he's ready to fight, and now I, I can't imagine him not being because it's for an interim title now. Um, those kicks are going to be the difference. If he can land those kicks, like you said, they're like baseball bats to your shins, knees, whatever. But is Max Holloway smart enough to, and savvy enough to, to fight him at inches and angles and pivot and move. I'm going to let you guys each come back with one rebuttal before I give my pick. So we'll start with, we'll start with uh, Chan. What do you got to say? Well, now? I believe that in order to stop Anthony Pettis' style in general, to shut that down, you basically have to have a guy like an Eddie Alvarez or an RDA who basically cage controlled and shoved them up against the, the, the fence. You know, a mm-hmm. guy who has, has a really strong base. Whereas I don't see Max Holloway being a threat as far as, as when, you know, dirty boxing or when they tie up, I don't see Max Holloway really being a threat there because he can't negate Anthony Pettis's kicks with some type of wrestling or some type of, um, you know, he's basically left with stand up because he, he, he's not left with much mm-hmm. judo and much, you know, wrestling. You, you don't see him utilizing any of that. And I mean, yeah. yeah, Max Holloway learned a lot against Conor McGregor. Sure, you know he took an L against him, but you know he he took him the distance and he wasn't KO'd. So kudos to him for that. I do think he'll give Anthony Pettis, you know, some work, but it's not going to be enough to take off a champion from a higher bracket division mm-hmm. who's dropping down to fight in your division. And I don't believe you know the odds are really speaking true to that. You know, Max Holloway moved up to a minus one ninety five today. Whereas Anthony Pettis is a plus 170. So if we're talking betting terms too, Anthony Pettis, in my opinion, is also a great pick. Yeah, I was going to say that, I mean, with with those odds being where where they are, I would definitely say that the live money is on Anthony Pettis at plus 170. But you just brought up something, again, that I guess is making my point even stronger. I 
I agree that Holloway's not as strong as Alvarez or, or RDJ, so he's not going to be able to control or RDA. He's not going to be able to control the ring the way that they did against Pettis. But I think that Pettis is arrogant enough to think that his striking is better than Holloway's. And Max Holloway is going to beat him in a boxing match. He's faster, and he's long. his arms are long, too. I, it's just, I, I'm with Bragg. I, I, I got Max Holloway by split decision. I think he ekes out a very, very close fight. But I wouldn't, like I said, if I was betting money, I would bet on pets with those odds. So, Bragg, any uh, follow-up? No, I just uh, it's it's going to be a really good fight, and just hearing us talk about it the last ten minutes or so, it just it's really got me pumped. I was, I mean, I was excited for the show. It's going to be a solid show, but now after really breaking down this that fight in particular, I'm really really excited for this fight, and it could go either way. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come out of Saturday night um, in shock either way. I think it's going to be a great fight, and I look at, I'm looking forward to. Uh, hearing everybody's uh, reactions and breaking it all down uh, next week. Chan? Yeah, man, I'm really excited. You know, just given the fact that I wanted to point out one more thing, which was the fact that Pettis moved down into that division. You have to imagine he's looking at the scope of talent in both divisions, you know, and mm-hmm. it must yeah. be a lot harder for him to call the shots at 155 and get a real a real good good fight there. And seeing that he's looked down in the 145 division to rebuild himself. You got to think he looked at Max Holloway as being competition there, but he obviously wanted that division to be number two or be number three. So, you know, he's prepared mentally, I believe it, whereas Max Holloway is kind of surprised by his presence, whereas Anthony Pettis has been expecting his presence. So I don't know. There's some type of mental edge. I think that, that Anthony Pettis has, you know, coming into that division. So, I'm really stoked about this fight, just like Bragg is. I mean, this is this is going to be a banger. And, you know, the the undercard's not looking bad either. So, I mean, we we have some good fights looking forward to on Saturday. I'm stoked as well. Um, but, yeah, my, my, my vote's Pettis and my money's with Pettis. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say this for the fans. Just if, you, if you're out there listening and, and, you know, we always try to give you, you know, a precise, clear-cut path. But, again, this is why they fight the fights. There is no – clear-cut path and and, you know I will say this again leave you with this Anthony Pettis moved down and for years now we've been clamoring for a Jose Aldo Anthony Pettis super fight at the time before a guy named Conor McGregor kind of upset the apple cart that's also in the back of Pettis's mind going into this fight but at the other end of the equation Max Holloway took Conor McGregor the distance, which tells me that he can handle Conor's power, which no other man has, no one's been able to handle that except for Nate, and he was 170. So that tells me that I don't think Anthony Pettis is going to hit Holloway with anything that's harder than what Conor hit him with. And that could be a problem because when you're bigger and you go up to the smaller guy and punch him in the mouth and he looks and says, is that all you got? George Foreman found that out with Ali. When Ali hit him and goes, they told me you could punch, George. Is that all you got? And George was like, yep, that's about it. And that was the hardest puncher that ever lived was George Foreman. So sometimes those fight, those speedy fighters, 
they, they, they don't take clean punches. And that's the thing. Will Pettis be able to land clean strikes? That's going to be the crux, I think, in this fight. So, again, a lot of action. Uh, Chan, great to have you on the show. We'd love to have Thank you on you guys. again. Anything you want to say to the fans before we get out of here, where they can follow you or hear any of your opinions and stuff? You want to plug anything? Well, I don't want to plug much other than this radio show. I mean, you guys listen hard. I mean, I know Larry personally, and I'm going to tell you guys, he knows his stuff. And we get down to some of the critical details on a lot of these things. And I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. You know, it's an exciting opportunity to talk about this kind of stuff. And I've been watching the fight games a long time, guys. I've been flying around. I go to different venues. I've been I've been contemplating about going up to Toronto to watch this stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of this stuff. And I, I like to I look, look, look deeper than just what the media is showing and sometimes go to the weigh-ins mm-hmm. and really check out the, the status and mindset of these guys. So, you know, I, I don't have much that, that's out there in the market for people to follow. But, you know, there's different things that I tap into and different uh, events that I participate in. And I like to get involved in the mix at any opportunity that MMA, you know, talked about or, or you know, wanting to be discussed. It's a, it's a great sport. And as we know it, you know, it's, a, it's one of the most one-on-one compelling things going on in the universe because it really shows the fundamentals of, of human beings. And, you know, that's what we're attracted to. So for that reason, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge sport fan in general. But, you know, MMA is up there, you know, with, with probably my, my top two if, if I was to have to, you know, choose to pick two forever. So I would say that MMA is definitely that, that next level competition that I like to look into. So, yeah. Absolutely. We love having you on the show and we look forward to having you on in the future. We'll talk to you later. All right, Greg. You and I are going to uh, be back on the air again next Wednesday, breaking down, seeing where we were with these picks. I liked, uh, I liked having that third person in there to break up the monotony. What about you? That was, and he, he, he brings, as he mentioned, you know, he's been a fan for a long time, brings a lot of knowledge. And, you know, there are times that I think, I think you and I, you know, we, we agree so much. We don't necessarily dive into uh, some of these matchups as in depth as we can. And he he brought the goods, man. He loved oh, having yeah. him on. Uh, looking forward to getting to know him a little better and uh, having him on more often. Yeah, and and just so that the fans know, we actually only picked two fights that all three of us agreed on, and that was that Cowboy Cerrone will beat Matt Brown, and that um, DJ Ho Choi will beat Cub Swanson. We we were split on the other uh, on the other two, and that again is always it's always better when you got great minds that think alike. But it's nice when you have another great mind who comes in there and makes you think outside of your box. And I thought that Chan did a really good job. And again, we've talked about revamping the show in January when we come back for our fifth year, and it's going to be a full year. And you know, Chan's probably going to be someone who's going to be on the show in a reoccurring role. So it was I thought he did very good for his first time, and uh, we want to applaud him for that. Bragg, is there anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, man, just uh, good to hear from you. I hope your Thanksgiving was well, and I hope your uh, Christmas holidays as they come up uh, continue to uh, develop like you want them to. Um, very sorry to hear about the passing of your of your puppy uh, last week. That was uh, very sad to hear. Um, condolences to your family for that, and um, 
yeah, man, just look forward to a great weekend of fights. Looking forward to um, getting back together with you next week and talking all about it. Absolutely. Uh, Bragg was alluding to the fact that uh, my my puppy, uh, Esteban, passed away Thanksgiving evening. Um, so uh, in in honor of Esteban, we're going to hit him with a 10 with a 10 bell salute, the little guy. He was only around for two weeks, but he was, he was definitely a fighter. So uh, I think it's only fitting. And that was also for all the veterans of uh, Pearl Harbor. This was the 75th anniversary of that tragic day that will forever live in infamy. So that 10 bell salute was also for all those veterans and the people who are tied to that. Uh, On behalf of Chris Bragg, I'm your host LC saying thanks for stopping by for another edition of the ultimate fight show. Good night. Are you ready? 